Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez here. So glad to be with you guys here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Now, I have some exciting news today, especially if you've been following this podcast for quite some time. And the news is this is the last gospel podcast. What that means is we have arrived. We are at the very end of the four gospels. So if you've been with me since day one, even if you jumped on and you went all the way back to the first podcast when we gave the introduction into the gospels and we looked into the intertestamental period and looked at those 400 years before Jesus comes on earth, excuse me, I should say actually John the Baptist, uh, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support and for your prayers. This has, to be honest, and again, not to sound cheesy, but this has truly been one of the greatest joys of my life and all the teaching that I've done in, in 20 some odd years, going through the gospels in chronological order, experiencing new things, tasting, feeling, even dreaming about what it would have been like to follow along Jesus's ministry in Galilee has truly been mind-boggling for me and emotional at times. And I pray that it's been that way for you as well, because together we have learned so much about Jesus. And perhaps this has been your first time that you have studied the gospels for yourself. And so I'm just grateful for the feedback that I've gotten through the years, and I just cannot believe this is podcast 113. So it's taken us this long to cover Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And again, if you have missed out and you've jumped on maybe towards the end, maybe you've been with me since we started to study the Passion Week, and then we've been in this for several months leading up from when Jesus arrived into Jerusalem uh, to when he rose from the dead. And that's where we left off, obviously, was the resurrection of Jesus in podcast 112. We explored uh, the different appearances that Jesus had with his disciples. And we looked at two encounters and two specific ones that dealt with restoration in a beautiful way. One was when Jesus pulled Peter aside when he appeared to his disciples. Remember, he told them, the angel said from the very beginning to tell the, he to, the, the, the angels told the women to tell the men to go to Galilee and Jesus will appear to them. And what that means was not that he would at first appear to them, but that when he would appear to them, that they would spend time with, with him and that he would finish out his remaining teachings to where we, where we are now entering our last induction to the gospel study, and that is the Great Commission. So as always, if you have missed out, you can go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast, my notes are there, and as I've been telling you guys for quite some time, we are finishing up two big projects right now, one with Baker Books and the other is going to be with Focus on the Family with Tyndale, and so by the time we get into the fall of 2020 going into the new year when my parenting book comes out hopefully by 2021 we will take a hard look at potentially putting together the these studies of the gospels into a commentary of some sort we don't know exactly what or in partnership with 
a particular platform or ministry, but uh, pray for that, please. Because, you know, again, as I told you earlier, as I have studied this for myself personally, devotionally, and then theologically, and then historically, and putting things into its proper form, it has really shaped my understanding and and of course, because there's so many other notes that I have that I, I don't have time to, you know, put into our podcast, but hopefully we can do something like that. And of course, as, as uh, I mentioned in another podcast, I believe at some point that there are some talks that we give that explore the real portrait of Jesus. And we get into a lot of the first century understanding and then, of course, a lot of the attacks that come against the Gospels and, di- and diving into the reliability of the Gospel narratives and understanding that and giving an apologetic uh, and looking at the historiography of Jesus, etc. So a lot of things to come, but it all started here with this podcast about uh, looking at who Jesus is, understanding the teachings, the parables, the encounterships that he had with people. So take advantage of those things. If you've been listening and maybe there are some that you haven't heard, I encourage you to take some time to do that. And also, please encourage family members, friends, put these out there on social media. We have this podcast available on all different platforms. So whatever app that you use, it's available there for you. And just when you're done listening to it, give us a review and also send it out there and encourage people. And that is a huge blessing because we have gotten feedback from people all over the world and we do have a limited marketing budget to put the word out. So if you want to bless us to encourage uh, the work that we're doing here to spread the gospel message and teach people just like you how to study the Bible and to learn and to grow closer to Jesus, please give us a donation. You can go to standstrongministries.org and you can click on the button donate and we would greatly, greatly appreciate any support that you can give the ministry. Now, with that being said, as I mentioned, this is the last installment that we have here for the Gospels. And today, the title simply is The Great Commission. Now, before we do dive into the Gospel counts and the Synoptic Gospels that cover the Great Commission, I don't know where you're at when it comes to the Great Commission, meaning I don't know how you're sharing your faith, if in fact you're sharing your faith. I don't know if there are people pouring into you or have poured into you, and in return, you're pouring into other people, following the model, again, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where you're multiplying. That's the key, and we're going to touch on that today. Jesus didn't just leave it to the disciples and say, okay, just go home and just continue the teaching within your, you know, within your community. Go back to work. No, it was that you're going to reach the ends of the earth. So fast forward, you and I are part of that commandment. We are part of that legacy to be people who are disciple makers, who are multiplying disciples to follow Jesus Christ. So hopefully today, my friend, when you are going through this with me, that you'll be convicted and it will inspire you, motivate you to look around you and say, God, what greater impact can I have? Some of you are saying, I'm, Jay, I'm not having really any impact in my environment, in my sphere of influence. I don't really have a sphere of influence. Nobody really listens to me. That's not true. You may not have a platform like other people. I certainly don't. There are people that I know that have way bigger influence and platforms than I do. But you know what? I'm called to do what God has called me to do. 
and you're called to do what God has called you to do. And, and we partake in that together. That's the body of Christ. So if I can inspire you through the power of the Holy Spirit and you can inspire me together, think of the impact that we can have. So, and that's the point sometimes. And what's sad, and I say this before we jump into the passage of scripture, but when we are to partake and to live out the great commission and the power of the Holy Spirit, what's often hindered in that process is a lack of unity because sometimes this church has this idea, this denomination or this church leader or this non-denominational leader or denominational leader or this nonprofit guy versus this other nonprofit, you know, gal. And there's a lot of conflict. There's, there's hindrance there because people are not united. They're fighting over funds. They're fighting over gigs. They're fighting over platform. They're fighting over approach or methodology And, you know, each one of us will give an account. When we stand before God, we will give an account. Now, each of us will be praised, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, for the work that we've done in Jesus' name. And you go back to Matthew chapter 5 through 7, as we've lived out the Sermon on the Mount and other things, of course, that bear witness to our faith in Christ, because the Bible clearly teaches us in Philippians chapter 2, 11 through following to verse 14, that we are to work out our faith with fear and trembling. And again, it's God who does the work through us for his glory. And we are to be zealous, as Paul tells us, uh, to, to be zealous for the work that God has called us to do. And so the Great Commission is a huge part of that. And so I just pray that as we uh, you know, talk about the Great Commission, that you and I are considering our church, we're considering the ministries that we support, we're considering the people that we know that are missionaries or that God has called in full-time ministry, but also looking around our friends, people that are in the bank industry, people that are in healthcare, people that are in education, people that are you know, in retail, whatever the case may be, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, we are all in this together and we should be supporting each other and championing each other and not causing each other to feel defeated. Because at the end of the day, this is about Jesus He was the one that came to the world to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And shame on us for taking it to the point to where we do ministry the way that we want to do it. And if you don't align with us that way, and again, I'm not speaking on doctrinal issues, on essential issues. I mean, if we hold to the same doctrine, we are bona fide followers of Jesus Christ and dwell by the power of the Holy Spirit and believe in the infallibility of Scripture and we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, that he will establish his kingdom here on earth, then, you know, we will have our differences, but we should not look for the demise of others. We should build one another up. And we do that, the Bible says, until he returns, until the day comes. And so I pray this encourages us because it really convicts me because I I would say the last few years, especially leaving the local church, and branching out for the last almost eight years now as, a, as an author and speaker, um, it has saddened me actually more because when I was in a local church, I didn't see as much. But now as God has sent me out there into his world among his people, I have encountered so many amazing God-fearing people. And I would say the majority of them are not these world-renowned leaders, okay? They're people in their community, in their city, in their local church, where God gave them a vision. They stepped out of faith 
and they're doing some great things and they're partnering with other people. And that's a beautiful thing. But in, in conjunction to that, what you also do see when you peel um, the curtain, if you will, peel back the curtain, you see so many controversial figures. You see so many people that are very divisive and they're filled with uh, anger or jealousy. And and so one of the things that, that, that I've been praying for for the, the past few years among some of these, these religious leaders and do pray for me as we do pray for our religious leaders is how can I bring friendship to them? How can I bring peace and joy? Um, not make it about me and certainly not fall into the trap that it's about them, but it's about Jesus. And I do believe, and I'm, gonna, and I'm giving you just some insight that in order to do that, we have to be a part of the Great Commission because sometimes it's easy to say, you know, let's go make disciples over here when God is clearly says, no, you may think these people are my disciples and they are um, in terms of belief, but they lack fortitude, they lack wisdom, they lack insight because nobody's really poured into them. And so in recent years, what we found is the majority of people in churches have never really truly been discipled. And the people who've never really been discipled, of course, are not going to what? They're not going to disciple. So as you and I go through this, and again, I do apologize for being a little bit long-winded here before we jump into the text, but this is our last one. This is this is where it's at. It, it, it all comes down to Jesus giving us this great commission before he ascends to heaven. So I pray of anything, as we've studied the life of Jesus, that we would fall more in love with him. And if we fall more in love with him, we would love his people and we would do the work that he's called us to do. So thank you for letting me just you know get that off my chest. So now let's jump into the gospel accounts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'm going to give you Mark 16, 15 through 18, but I do want to say that some of the early manuscripts do not have this section in them. And we'll explain a little bit about that. And so I don't tend to hold fast to certain wordings that are here that has nothing to do with, with denying the inspiration of scripture. Um, I think things were later inserted as a culmination, um, but they were not written directly probably by Mark who wrote this, who got his account from Peter himself. And then we'll also look at Luke 24, 44 through 49. And then of course, we'll mash the, the three together. Uh, particularly, I should actually say mash Matthew and Luke's account together to get one narrative and give some commentary. And then we'll close things out. So let's start with Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark sixteen fifteen through 18. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Luke twenty four forty four through 49 Then he said to them, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay, so let's jump back to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And here we see that the 11 disciples, they go to Galilee. Now remember, they were told from, from the day of the resurrection, from the angels to the women, to the men, that he will appear to them in Galilee. And we know, fast forward and we look at what we've covered, Jesus is in Galilee now. They went fishing, they caught nothing. He tells them to cast out in, onto the right side and they do it. They don't know it's Jesus yet. And then John identifies it as Jesus. Peter jumps into the water and we know that they have a great meal with Jesus. We don't know all the details of what was said. If Jesus pulled aside all the disciples one by one, but we do know he did that for Peter. And then he also said something to John. And of course, before all that with Thomas in Jerusalem, he appears to him and he says, my Lord and my God. So we see these beautiful encounterships. And now the 11 disciples are in Galilee and they're at the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, at some point, uh, in one of the appearances, Jesus instructed his 11 disciples to meet him at this mountain. Remember, he was with them for 40 days since the resurrection. The location is actually unknown. We don't know specifically, just like we don't know exactly where Jesus was crucified. We know some deta details um, not far from where it, it did occur, but we don't know the exact location just like now. And then here in verse 17, notice it says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, this indicates that there were other people, there were other disciples besides the actual 11. I don't believe the doubting ones were part of the 11. Go back to all the encounterships that they've had since the resurrection. I don't believe that's the case. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, again, Jesus is invoking Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14. He has absolute power and authority over heaven and earth. And his words, as you and I know, will never pass away. So when Jesus gives us declarative statement that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, meaning he is the infinite, eternal, all-knowing, all-loving, all-consuming God, and he's here in the flesh, and he's going to give them a decree. And we know that God's decrees are irrevocable. You cannot overturn God's eternal decrees. And Jesus is giving them this calling this command and we have to put in perspective it's not just like hey when you feel up to it when you want to go out there and tell people about my love good for you like on valentine's day this is an everyday transformative work this is by the power of jesus through what he has taught how he has lived the impeccability of jesus meaning the sinlessness of jesus this has to do with his death on the cross this has to do with his burial and this has to do with his resurrection and the resurrected bodies that we will receive in his kingdom someday. And all of this will be activated through the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. So this is powerful stuff. And Jesus, when he's giving them this great commission, he's giving it to them as the king of kings. There is no one greater than Jesus 
So when you think of our president here in the United States, for example, he is the commander in chief. And so when he gives an order for the military, he's the top. Yes, he has generals who advise him um, and there, there's, there's a rank and file that goes down from the president, but the executive office is the top that, that is the presidency. And that is a, a little comparison to what you and I are dealing with here. So you and I have to remember that. We take this seriously because Jesus did. He came into this world to give us newness of life, to redeem us. We were far from God. And then he says, okay, I'm going to leave. The third person of the Trinity is going to come and empower you in a way that you've never seen. You've seen glimpses of it, but this is going to usher in the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And again, by the way, that's what we're going to be jumping into right after we finish the gospel. So starting next week, Lord willing, we'll jump into the book of Acts and we'll see how the people took this seriously, the disciples particularly who became apostles and then calling the deacons that we see in Acts chapter 6 and then we see the martyrdom of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and then we see Saul of Tarsus out there persecuting the church who later become Paul in Acts chapter 9 and God would use him in a mighty way. But in between that, we see this man, Philip, who's an evangelist and he faithfully executes what God has called these men to do to spread the gospel beyond Jerusalem. So I can't wait for us to dive into that. But that's about the Great Commission. It is in the authority of Jesus. That is from the top. And we are to take this very, very seriously. Notice he says, go therefore make disciples of all nations. So there's no limitations to where the gospel is to go. Yes, you and I, if you've done any mission work or you have friends who are in areas that the gospel is prohibited, and they tried to oust it as much as they can, like places like in Iran and places like um, China, et cetera. Not all of China, but main, mainly um, the whole ideological approach, obviously, from the communist regime. They, they, they don't want any Christianity, of course. But notice Jesus says it doesn't matter. He doesn't say, well, unless you can get in there. If not, don't worry about it. No, he says to all nations, to all, and the Greek word here is ethnos, to all ethnic groups. And you are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What comforting words. Jesus encourages his disciples that he's omnipresent. Yes, you will not physically be with me anymore, like I've been with you guys for several years, but I will always be with you wherever you go. And he commands his disciples. I've given you this commandment. I've showed you how to live. You're to walk as I am to walk. Remember John said that in John chapter two, verse five. It all, it, the culmination, all of it points to Jesus. He fulfilled the scriptures. He is the Messiah. He is the redeemer. He came and he offered himself so that you and I can have salvation, that we could be saved from our sin, from, our, from death, and that that punishment has been paid for. And so we have been justified by faith through the grace of God in Christ. And now in obedience, we are to make disciples, Jesus says, to build the church all around the world. So not only is the gospel to spread to every ethnic group, to every nation around the world, but God's church is to be present. And so that's something that you and I, every day, Sometimes we don't, you don't know what to pray or you, you're rushed and, and you haven't really spent that time. A simple yet powerful prayer, my friends, is Lord, I pray that your gospel message 
will permeate the earth. God, I pray that you'd use me to be a voice, to be a witness in, in, in some small, significant way that you can use me to share the gospel to someone. Lord, I pray that your church will be built around the world. If there's places, God, where they don't have the translation of the Bible, God, if there's places where the church, a, a local meeting group is not, I pray, God, that you would send someone to start a church there. And, and my friends, even as we're praying these prayers, perhaps God is saying, you're going to be that person. And so you need to be praying right now. Lord, if it's me, if you've called me to share the gospel, to translate the Bible into that language, to reach this unknown group, or to go to this remote part of the world to start a church, God, that I would go. And notice when you and I go, my friends, we were to baptize these people. That is a symbol of public worship. So we have Eucharist, or as people refer to as Eucharist or communion, and we have another sacrament that is baptism. And so these are both sacraments that we do in remembrance of Jesus. It's a commandment that we're, we're told to do, but they're also a display of worship. And notice this teaching, he says. So you make disciples, you baptize them in public worship, and you also teach them. Teach them the truth of the gospel just like the disciples were taught by Jesus. Now, when you look at Luke and his gospel in verse 44 of chapter 24, he adds these words that Matthew doesn't mention and Mark clearly doesn't. These are my words, Jesus said to them, that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, remember, when you go back to the road to Emmaus, Jesus from... It says from the scriptures, he started from Moses and on, he showed the fulfillment of scripture. And Jesus again does this. He explains that he fulfilled the scriptures by mentioning, notice the three divisions. He talks about the law, he talks about the prophets, and he talks about the Psalms. That's how the Jewish scriptures were divided. And he says, these things must be fulfilled. Now remember, Jesus will restore all things one day in Acts 3.21. So this was the beginning now of the disciples going out there to convey this message to the world, to be reconciled to God, that God will one day, as we're reconciled to him, he will one day restore all things. So notice in verse 45, Jesus then opens, he explains these things and their minds were opened to understand the scriptures. So now we have something significant here. Jesus gives them some more, not just knowledge, but he gives them some more revelation that opens up their capacity. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So the scriptures prophesy, remember, of the suffering Messiah, Psalm 22, and you have Isaiah 52, verse 13, all the way to chapter 53, verse 12. And that Jesus, of course, would rise from the dead according to Psalm 16, 8 through 11. Now, we will see glimpses of this preached by the apostles in the book of Acts. And I also believe that this time that the disciples had with Jesus before he ascended by giving this great commission, perhaps we don't know that Philip, who becomes one of the deacons in Acts chapter 6, or later is discipled, becomes a new convert or something, from one of the 
apostles perhaps, but I do believe this revelation that Jesus gives early on as the church starts on the day of Pentecost, okay, that's going to take place a few weeks after this point, that Philip is able to take this knowledge and this understanding of the suffering servant that points to Christ who is the fulfillment of all of all these things because he is the Jewish Messiah. He conveys this message, this teaching to who? To the eunuch who's reading the passage in Isaiah 53. So again, this is significant because as God is disseminating this message to his followers, as he's opening their understanding of the scriptures more and more, they're taking that and they're disseminating it. They're telling more people. So it wasn't just them sitting down and giving an account. That was what we typically do in our Western thinking. But for them as uh, oratorical learners, and especially that type of learning in the first century, it's very common for them to get together in their home life and in their synagogues and to disseminate this message and to look to the scrolls, to look to the scriptures and see Christ in them. And so that's significant because that kept building, it kept building into the early church to where we get these councils and these creeds that came as a result as they looked into the scriptures as they were coming together. And then we know by the time of John the apostle, before the the turn of the the second century, we have the, the 27 books of the Bible. And of course, just a short few years later, um, they're being circulated. And then from there, by the time we get into the third century, most of the prominent theologians and fathers, church fathers, uh, patristic fathers, um, look to the scriptures and said, this is a canonized scripture. These are the inspired words of God from the Old Testament now to the New Testament, the 66 books. So that's really significant. I wish I could talk more about that, but let's dive right back here where this phrase that Jesus says should be proclaimed in his name. So Luke mentions the proclaiming Notice the message of what? Of forgiveness. So don't ever forget that. We, you know, we talk about the good news, the gospel, but in the Great Commission, it's also about forgiveness. And no, Now, we know that one cannot come to Christ without being forgiven of their sins. But Matthew's referencing making disciples in baptism while Luke is talking about forgiveness. And what a beautiful picture and demonstration when you and I go out and we are making disciples, bitter people, critical people, people who, who, who are condescending, people who are doubtful, those are not great disciple makers. People who have accepted and walk in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and therefore, right, because of it in return forgive, that is a powerful witness. And he's saying, you proclaim that in my name that there is forgiveness and that we are to forgive one another. Because he says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things, meaning people are going to be looking at you. You have seen me do it. You have received it. You need to do it to others. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But he says, but stay in the city until you are clothed. That means in the Greek, employing of expression, the power from on high. So Matthew twenty-eight sixteen, Jesus directed the disciples to the mountain then he tells them to remain in Jerusalem in order to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. And now Jesus ascends in verse 15. He led them out far as Bethany. Now that's the east of the Mount of Olives. So this is a very common area. And he lifts up his hands and he, and he blessed them. That means he bestowed a divine favor over them. So it's kind of the last blessing of prayer that Jesus gives them physically on earth before he ascends. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and it was carried up into heaven. 
So Jesus here delivers one last priestly duty by blessing his disciples. And then this phrase carried up into heaven, Jesus' ascension to heaven is a foreshadowing of his return. Because remember, now we have the angels who come back. And in Acts 1, 9 through 11, they said, just as he left, he will return. And notice it says in verse 52, and they worship, that's a formal act. And they worshiped Jesus and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So they went straight to work. And the opening of Luke's book began, remember, in the temple. And where does it end? It ends with the disciples worshiping in the temple. Isn't that cool? And then one final note we didn't mention, but in John's gospel and verse 25 of chapter 21, it says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, I want to say that that is not to mean that the books that we have today, that, that, that all the books in the world could not contain the things that Jesus did. Remember, this is a man that's writing in the first century, and writing was very hard to do. Not everybody was able to do it because they weren't educated, didn't have the funds to be able to process all the material to get it to the point to have a written scroll of some sort and these parchments, papyrus, etc. And but what what John is saying though is there's so much more obviously that we can that we can get into. So he's using hyperbole to emphasize the extensiveness of Jesus's life. So what we do know is what we have, what we do know about Jesus is not everything. Okay? Now for whatever reason, there was other healings, there was other teachings that that were left out that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do not cover. And at best, the gospel writers simply recorded partial accounts of Jesus. Just like when you look uh, into a book, a particular book on a president or a certain book or a bibliography uh, of an individual, uh, an athlete, a politician, a, a writer, an artist, whatever, they don't give the full story, right? These are condensed versions so biographies are limited in scope and the gospels are limited in scope. Just because they have things that are left out doesn't mean that they failed to present adequately and sufficiently what God had called them to write. And so my friends, as we conclude this podcast, I do pray as we look at the, the scope of the gospel accounts that we take away ultimately the story of Peter. And seeing where he was just a sinful man and he told the Lord to depart from him because he had nothing to offer. And yet Jesus says, no, I'm going to use this man. And we know that he fouled up many times. He messed up. He said the wrong things. But man, Peter was determined. If it was the Lord, he says, tell me to come out of the boat. And he started to drown after a while when he took his eyes off of Jesus. But he cried out to the Lord, save me. He was the one that was going to fight for Jesus because he didn't want him to die. He was the one that says, I'll never abandon you. And yet he did. But yet in the end, when he knew that it was Jesus on the shoreline, he jumped into the water and he swam to his Savior. And he was restored. And we know what happened to him in the book of Acts. So I just pray like Peter, God would use you in a mighty, powerful way. Not because it's in your own strength, because you're the most gifted person ever, it's because God has called you. And when you rely on Jesus and you're following his command, the Great Commission, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you have the written word of God in front of you, and you know that God has gifted you, right? Whatever, they, whatever your spiritual gifts are, according to 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, that you live them out. 
and you trust God to be that disciple maker, my friend, that God has called you to be. Now, I pray that if you're not investing in the lives of people, that you'd start first with your local church and get with some of, some somebody you respect that's, that God has raised up that's a shepherd there to help you uh, look at ways that you can do that. But please don't make excuses. We need more people who are following the Great Commission so that we can see the gospel reach the lives of more people. So thank you for listening, my friends. And until next time, keep standing strong. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.